So I want to get into this, okay? I want to spend some good time on this. The DPRK has another set of sanctions leveled upon it by the United States and the Joe Biden administration announced them today through the Treasury Department that uh, new entities in the DPRK are going to be sanctioned in response to these so-called missile launches that have been happening over the past several months, as recently as this week, uh, through these intercontinental ballistic missiles that the DPRK has been developing. So Reuters reported that the United States on Friday, which is today, slapped sanctions on five entities. It accused of providing support to North Korea's development of weapons of mass destruction and ballistic missiles programs, increasing pressure on Pyongyang following a recent series of missile launches. The Department of Treasury, the Treasury Department, in a statement said Friday's actions targets the Ministry of Rocket Industry, which it said is a North Korean weapons of mass destruction research and development organization directly linked the development of the ICBMs. It is also designed, designated four of the organization's subsidiaries. So, of course, right, these look like just economic <laughs> entities, just corporations, right? The Hapchanggang Trading Corporation, the Korea Ronsan Trading Corporation, the Sungasan Trading Corporation, and the Uncheon Trading Corporation. So, of course, economically, this is meant to bring the pain to the DPRK. So it follows a rise of tensions in North Korea following two ballistic missile tests, February 26th and March 4th. That involved a new ICBM system. Okay, so that, yeah, March 4th that involved a new ICBM system that North Korea is developing. The last week's first full ICBM test conducted in North Korea since 2017. So basically Janet Yellen is just saying that it's provocative, a clear threat to stability, blah, blah, blah. The United States is committed to using our sanctions authorities to respond to the DPRK's continued development of weapons of mass destruction, right? WMDs again, guys, we're back to WMDs. How very predictable. So here we go. Nuclear weapons, right? Reuters is just peddling the intelligence line. And what we're seeing, of course, is the United States increasing its aggression on the DPRK. This is nothing new. And oftentimes, as you saw in that article, the DPRK is presented as the aggressor. It is the DPRK that is building these weapons and they're just doing these missile tests for no reason, right? They're only doing it to be provocative and the United States has to come to the rescue of South Korea and uh, the rest of the world to address this, right? The United States is the arbiter here. They have to address this. But you have to ask, why exactly would the DPRK be so concerned, right? Why would they be so concerned about developing these missile systems? Well, Contrary to popular opinion in the United States and the West, the presence, the U.S. presence in South Korea is enormous, and there is a lot of provocative exercises, a lot of provocative events, militarization happening right along the DMZ, right below the artificial border put into place during the Korean War, the massively bloody Korean War, which I will get to in a second. So even just last year, Late last year, November 2021, Joe Biden with South Korea, the U.S. and South Korea began joint exercises, right? 
amid attempts to reignite North Korea talks. So under Donald Trump, there were talks about denuclearization. It seemed like things were kind of progressing, and then they were forestalled. I believe after the first meeting, there was such a campaign, Pelosi, the entire media came after Donald Trump, completely sabotaged those talks. But here you have, okay, here you have, in November 2021, a joint aerial drill that was happening between the United States and South Korea. That seems pretty provocative. A five-day-long annual exercise, the two allies mobilized about 100 air assets, including F-15K and KF-16 jets from South Korea and F-16s from the United States, reported Yonhap News Agency on Monday. So previously called Vigilant Ace, this drill used used to mobilize tens of thousands of troops along with cutting-edge fighter jets, but it has been scaled back since 2017 to facilitate peace efforts. So they carried out the drill in a low-key manner, and they declined, the South Korean Air Force declined to elaborate on the maneuvers. And then, of course, North Korea has long criticized this, and they say it's all in response to ballistic missiles. So it's always, right, that the DPRK is the reason why these missile drills are happening or, or why these military drills are happening, these exercises on the border. So there you have just an example, right, of just recently, in the last six months, the United States conducting a military exercise in South Korea and then saying that it's because the DPRK is aggressive and bigoted and a threat to democracy and all of this. But the DPRK has a lot of reason to believe that it needs to be uh, that it needs to be militarized, that it needs to have a strong centralized defense system. And I'm just going to go over a few things. So even in Reuters, right, here's a little fact box about the security arrangement. So this was written in 2021, uh, uh, just a year ago, okay? So there's been a 70-year security alliance, they say. All right, and that goes back, of course, to the invasion of Korea that I will get into. But I'm not even going to get into this history because it's not a good history. But I want to just get into, right, and here's all the deals, right? They talk about all these security deals. South Korea agreed to increase its military budget 8.2% in 2019 to $921.5 And for a small country, that's a huge military budget. And the United States is pressuring that. So Donald Trump wanted them to increase even more than that. But here you go. There are 28,500 American troops in South Korea. It's the United States' third largest military presence outside of the country after Japan and Germany. And so the U.S. forces of Korea operate 90 combat planes, 40 attack helicopters, 50 tanks, and some 60 patriotic missile launchers in South Korea. And so here's how big uh, South Korea's army is, 19,500 soldiers. So you have more U.S. troops there than there are even soldiers in the Korean, the South Korean army. The Republic of Korea, I should say, because South Korea kind of legitimizes the regime. And I don't think that there is any legitimate Korean government other than one Korea. And I am of the belief 
that the DPRK represents a liberation struggle, making it actually the most legitimate form of government that exists on the peninsula. That's my opinion. People may think that that is too radical or revolutionary, but that's just the truth. So there you go, okay? There are 28,000 American troops, U.S. troops in the Republic of Korea, and they are pushing further militarization and increase in South Korea's, uh, the Republic of Korea's military budget. That is very notable. That is very dangerous and leads me to think that the DPRK has some concerns, has some legitimate concerns here. And why is that? Well, let's just say that the DPRK, okay, that the, the Korea as a whole, but the DPRK in particular, have an experience with imperialism, a direct one. This isn't some kind of story about the DPRK in the Republic of Korea in this kind of uh, divided peninsula uh, where the United States supports one side. This isn't some kind of benign conflict. No, this has a history, okay? This history is bloody and it's ruthless. And so before I get into how bloody it was through the air when the U.S. invaded Korea in 1950, I want to show you some numbers about what U.S. troops did early on in the Korean War. Very early, okay? And this is not bombing campaigns. This is through the U.S. military's land campaign. All right, and I'm going to try to uh, actually increase this. So this is, uh, before I get into it, this is, in a, so this is a 1993 document from the DPRK. U.S. imperialists started the Korean War. Okay, and it's written by these academics, Hong Jong-ho, uh, Kang Sak-hui, and Pak Tai-ho. So it was published by the foreign publishing house in Pyongyang, Korea. And so I'm going to try to actually get back to the numbers because it's pretty far down. I believe it was page 204. So there's a this chart shows, okay, so below here it says, the U.S. aggressors killed these hundreds of thousands of innocent people by shooting, hanging, beating, and burying alive. And they resorted to the most horrible and brutal methods, killing people after dragging them through with their noses and ears run through wire, scooping out their eyeballs and cutting off nipples, skinning off their heads and bodies, cutting off their lips and tongues, dismembering their limbs. You get the picture, okay? Torture. And so these are not, this is during the occupation in Korea. This is not the bombing campaign. And here, and this is just 1950, okay? So these are statistics of the murderous atrocities committed by U.S. imperialism in some areas of the northern half of the republic during its temporary occupation. And this is in 1950, okay? So look at these numbers. Pyongyang, 15,000 slaughtered, okay? Sinchon, 35,000 slaughtered, right? You can go Pyeongsang, 5,000, almost 6,000 slaughtered. We can go down the line. Right? These are hundreds of thousands of people in these local areas of the northern half of the peninsula. I mean, this is a war crime. And so that alone shows you the brutality, right? The brutality of U.S. imperialism and why the DPRK, after successfully staving off this invasion, might feel like they need a little bit of protection, okay? And 
sorry uh, so i see some people saying trigger warning please i'm sorry yeah trigger warning this this is heavy material my bad everyone my bad but um you know i only reviewed the numbers i didn't know they were actually going to get that deeply into it so that's how awful that's how brutal how genocidal u.s imperialism is and why the dprk feels it needs to have some uh, heavy security okay a heavy defense against this happening again and so I'm going to share now the last piece of history here before I get into the impact of the sanctions on the DPRK. It's important for you to have this short brief, and I like to find some kind of brief sources for you all just so you get the picture because there are entire books by Bruce Cummings, I would suggest. Uh, all of his work really on the history of Korea are important works. But here is a great short article i wouldn't call it great but i'll call it serviceable unknown to most americans the u.s totally destroyed north korea once before so this was written in 2017 david mcneil out in japan tokyo he says okay he says foreign tourists in north korea are invariably steered to the victorious fatherland liberation war museum in pyongyang which documents the isolated nation's cruci crucible years the 1950 to 53 war that split the korean peninsula in two Rural school children dressed in military uniform, blah, blah, blah. So let's move on to the war. Okay, so here is Blaine Hardin, author and former Washington Post reporter. So he says he recently called a long, leisurely, and merciless. He recalled uh, the atrocities as long, leisurely, and merciless, uh, a U.S. bombing campaign. That's what he called it. Well over half a million tons of bombs dropped, napalm and chemical weapons deployed, which I talked about in my article, and cities leveled. Although the ferocity, he says, of the bombing was recognized as racist and unjustified anywhere in the world, says Hardin, for many Americans, it was just another conflict in a distant and poorly understood country, he concludes. Not for nothing, it is called the Forgotten War. The result was perhaps 3 million dead, and the museum recalls the first U.S. armistice in history signed without a victory. In three years of fighting, a single major city changed hands, Kangsong, Kaisong, which is now the last vestige of a once hopeful detente with the South. So Air Force General Curtis LeMay, head of the Strategic Command during the Korean War, estimated that the American campaign killed 20% of the entire population. We went over there and fought the war and eventually burned down every town in North Korea. So... This, this continues, right? Douglas MacArthur, MacArthur's plan to win was a list of targets sent to the Pentagon requesting 34 atomic bombs to create a belt of radioactive cobalt across the neck of Manchuria so that there could be no land invasion of Korea from the north for at least 60 years. So nuclear war was declared, really. That was what was hoped for. I mean, he didn't get what he wanted because of the resistance in Korea, but out of the wreckage of the conflict unresolved to this day, we have Kim Il-sung built isolated sail, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so that's just some of the facts, right? And then they talk about the amnesia, where it says 58% of Americans would support military action against North Korea if peace, peaceful and diplomatic means fail. So they forget, right, how disgusting this war is but that's just a little bit of a taste a little bit of a taste of how destructive the war is even u.s officials from curtis lemay right they say that 
they leveled north the North Korea. They just they killed twenty percent of the population, raised entire cities. Douglas MacArthur wanted a nuclear winter in Korea, and so we have to understand that the DPRK has a lot of reasons to be concerned here. The DPRK has a history of losing millions of people, having chemical weapons deployed on them, which I covered in my article on the times that the U.S. has used chemical weapons. We're talking about cholera. We're talking about anthrax. We're talking about bacterial agents that were released on the population to destroy crops, to destroy people's lives, to sicken people, to target the elderly, to target really a majority peasant population, to starve them, destroy their water systems. I mean, this was a brutal campaign. This was a campaign of total annihilation in the United States. Has absolutely no right to lecture the DPRK on anything, given that history alone. But this history continues with the sanctions. The sanctions are brutal. Do not allow Janet Yellen or any of these other corporate capitalist imperialist hawks tell you that sanctions don't hurt people. So a study from Korea now, Korea Peace Now, that I'm going to pull up, has just a, a brief analysis of, and so this is a study from Korea Peace Now. I'll just show you uh, the, the title of it, The Human Cost and Gendered Impact of Sanctions on North Korea. And this was written uh, by Korea Peace Now, a global women, movement of women mobilizing to end the Korean War. And they commissioned this report to assess the human cost of sanctions on North Korea, in particular North Korean uh, and women in the DPRK. So let me just go back to the chart. I believe that was page 16 here. So this chart is preventable deaths attributable to delays in funding shortfalls due to the sanctions. And so there's an S, these are estimated figures, but the estimated figures that in this year alone, this one year, 2018, right, that we saw preventable deaths in the thousands due to these medical conditions and issues, right, that could have been prevented with supplies that the sanctions were preventing from the DPRK that they were restricted from obtaining. So here you have severe acute malnutrition, 1,650 deaths, 343 deaths due to vitamin A deficiency uh, and the lack of emergency reproductive health kits. You had 1,272 deaths. So overall, with all of these conditions, you had about 4,000, 3,698 deaths in that one year showing that delays... Uh, Oh, actually, no, this is just preventable deaths overall, and then deaths due to delays even more. So it's over 4,535. So delays and then preventable deaths from not having the supplies and then the delays in funding, delays in supplies, what deaths those cause. So this table just shows you how the DPRK has actually had a human cost. There's been a human cost to this. People don't necessarily believe it. On the one hand, by the reactionaries going all the way from even the most so-called progressive liberals to the most reactionary hawks, that you could find uh, on the political right. They just don't see people in the DPRK as human, right? They don't see them as human. They see people in the DPRK as just brainwashed victims of a so-called authoritarian government that needs to be overthrown, the so-called hermit kingdom. Once it's overthrown, the people will be liberated, right? War will bring them peace. That's the narrative. And then you have, on the other hand, even people on the left who support the people of the DPRK, 
They may think that the DPRK socialist system, which is robust and has actually improved the quality of life for people in the DPRK quite immensely, that this means that they are kind of sanctions proof. Well, actually their economy is not sanctions proof. And this is one of the reasons why the DPRK is trying to maintain a relationship with China, uh, really strengthen that relationship, right? There was all kinds of, in 2020, there was the anniversary, right? The 70th anniversary of the war to aid the people of Korea against American aggression, the war against American aggression to aid Korea that China celebrated. The DPRK was very enthusiastic about that. These peoples have a relationship, a bond, uh, an anti-imperialist bond. And so while China is sanctions proof because of its size, because of its ability to open up, because of so many things, it's made itself relatively sanctions proof. The DPRK is not. And this impact shows, the this impact of U.S. sanctions shows it. It shows the devastating human cost that this war, this armistice that was supposedly signed really has no teeth because the teeth are really in these sanctions. The militarization is a danger. It's a threat, but these sanctions are already harming people's lives, killing people in the thousands, right? And it's a similar experience to Venezuela, which we know in a couple of years, they lost 40,000 people from 2017 to 2019. And the impact of these sanctions elsewhere in the other 28 plus countries, it's the same. So we have to look at it this way and we have to oppose these sanctions and we have to stand in solidarity with the DPRK against these sanctions. That is what it means to be actually legitimately involved in the peace movement. So that's what I wanted to show you with the DPRK, right? I wanted to show you that history, just a brief review of the destruction that the U.S. caused during the Korean War, the lecturing that it continues to give to the DPRK around its buildup of its own defense systems, the fact that the U.S. still militarily provokes the DPRK through the militarization of the South, of the Republic of Korea with tens of thousands of troops, hundreds, if not thousands of weapons of mass destruction of their own right, and this attempt right this very racist attempt to paint the dprk as this aggressor this like inhuman hermit kingdom that's looking to destroy the world is actually only facilitating more and more aggression more and more war and this is what the biden administration is doing with its time in this moment 